Part Three. Hans' work in Germany on his visit to the SS. Eugene's heart almost stopped when he saw that one of the pilots climbing down the plane was Hans. This time he looked sharper than ever, with what appeared to be new clothes and a shorter hairstyle. During the first couple of minutes, Hans was busy talking with fellow pilots and showing around the massive new plane. Eugene tried to get as close as possible to him, and carry as many things as possible to be noticed. It worked. And soon he received a handshake from Hans, but more importantly, Hans asked him for some help later on. They agreed to meet in the hangar after unloading the plane. After six hours of work, Eugene had only a bit of energy left. His excitement, though, was still fully there. And right after finishing the unloading process, he moved to the hangar. There, he found Hans and his co-pilot, a dark-skinned man that towered both of them. He was Italian. His name Roberto. He was a very experienced pilot. He had flown basically every airplane available in Italy. He was also a test pilot for new military fighters produced in Italy as well. Roberto had also flown Junkers and other German planes. The two pilots were smoking from the same pipe and had a cup of coffee each. As Eugene approached, he was greeted by the two men, and they immediately asked for food. Eugene had some pasta to spare. In reality, it was his dinner, but he was willing to replace it for a spare apple that he had in his pocket, if that meant spending time with the pilots. After a couple of minutes, where the two pilots talk about the latest flights and their involvement with the government, the real reason for the invitation was evident. The new plane was going to be based in the small airfield, and they needed a new hangar and a new crew. The deal would require a lot from Eugene and the other ones that had already been recruited, most of them with more experience and better paid. Eugene had a different deal. He would work building the new hangar, and besides a small wage, he would get access to fly lessons on smaller planes that Hans would fly during the weekend. Eugene accepted straight away. It was his dream. The training began soon during the winter, and by next year, Hans and Eugene were flying together. Working and training was hard. The planes were very unstable and hard to maneuver. The weather there didn't help either. It rained constantly, and the fog was an everlasting problem around the airfield. Eventually, after more than 250 hours of flight, Eugene became a Piaget II pilot. He got his license, and soon he was delivering mail with the same plane that he trained with. The mail was mostly fascist propaganda to the north and central Italy. By 1937, he had already two years of experience and had become a really good pilot, especially good in navigation and short field landings. The first year was the hardest, but also the most rewarding. Besides battling bad weather, he also had two very dangerous incidents. The first one happened in January, while trying to land in Germany. He just couldn't stop the plane before the end of the runway. It resulted in a broken prop and damage to the landing gear. The second incident was more critical. His engine stopped working with just 500 feet above ground level, right after takeoff. During this incident, Hans was the pilot. The Piaget II was fully loaded. As the engine stopped, 
has took control of the plane and guided it towards the small road next to the airport. The emergency landing was hard, the plane broke in two and the two pilots were ejected from the cockpit. Eugene suffered a broken wrist, dislocated shoulder, and a small cut in his arm. Hans, on the other hand, suffered just small cuts. The plane was completely lost. They had to wait two months to get a new plane. The second year was better, no incidents. It was during the second year that he understood the importance of proper navigation and a stable airplane for a safe flight. From there on, he would be one of the few pilots to check the plane daily. He would always be involved with the mechanics and would make sure to have everything in order before a flight. Unlike Hans, Eugene became very disciplined. Hans, on the other hand, was one of those wild pilots that would do everything to get money. Eugene would accept flies he was certain he could accomplish. Dangerous flies would pay more. Eugene would go for simpler flights. It was less money, but more chances to get back home at the end of the day. In September 1937, Benito Mussolini visited Germany and Hitler. News of the visit and the following decision by Mussolini to join Hitler in his strategy to take over Europe arrived to Italy soon. Eugene had the privilege to get the news sooner than many because of his job as a pilot. Several letters and publications transported weekly told of wars and allies. Moreover, personal letters would be described the horrors of war and the role of Italy in Africa and the massacres of complete armies and towns. Rumors of the use of mustard gas and concentration camps were commonly discussed in the airfield. By then, many of Eugene's partners, especially Jews, had left to other places in Europe or America. Eugene didn't like the idea of leaving. He had his dream job, and he didn't want to repeat the story of his family that gave up to Mafia in Sicily and were forced to move to the north. Christmas Day, 24 December 1938, was perhaps the most important holiday for Eugene and his family. As he had done during the last few years, his routine during that day was the same, and he wouldn't change it for nothing. That particular morning, the day started as expected. He woke up in a small room in the center of Inveruno. He lived with two fellow pilots in a family of ten that rented most of the building. The spare room were often used by Jewish visitors who would mysteriously come and go randomly. They were mainly from Germany, but some Italians, Romanians, and Polish would also appear. As usual, he woke up with a cup of coffee and bread. He took a quick shower and ended up preparing the two gifts he had for his mother. He wasn't good at it, but he managed to get it done before 10 a.m. On the way to visit his mother, he went past his best friend, an Italian girl called Marta. They had met in church and we shared the same love for Italian pasta. She gave him a small gift wrapped in the red cloth. He gave her a big hug and promised to take her for dinner later during the week. Eugene always liked her, but he never asked her out. Five minutes later, he was at home. The doors were open all the way to the kitchen, where he found his mother, the town's priest, and two nuns cooking and talking. Five minutes later, he was at home. The doors were open all the way to the kitchen, where he found his mother, the town's priest, and two nuns cooking and talking. Eugene's dad had died one year ago. Since then, his mother had become completely devoted to the church and would have spent most of her time with the religious people of the town. 
when he said he was immediately encouraged to join the conversation. Unsurprisingly, the topic regarded Mussolini, war, and the prospect of leaving. After a quick lunch with bread and prosciutto, the group moved to the church and prayed for a couple of hours. Almost everyone in town would go there during the day and stay there for two hours. When they came back, the group headed to the kitchen directly to share stories and finish cooking to different plates to eat during the night. After six, the usual cup of coffee was served and more stories were shared. Finally, they sat next to the fireplace and would start eating the different dishes. Friends and relatives would come and exchange small gifts with Eugene and his group. After 10 p.m., the dinner was finished and they all finished with a glass of wine and bread. At 10 p.m., most of them were tired and the amount of food increased the desire to go to bed and rest. Less than 30 minutes later, it was Eugene and his mother sitting in the kitchen by themselves. They were talking about the new gifts and talking about life. His mother was extremely pleased with the gifts she received, which included religious figures, books, and a handwritten recipe for a new kind of pasta and some pies. The recipe came directly from Germany. Eugene received a pair of gloves and a two bottles of wine. The last two presents engraved were to one given to him by Martha, his friend, and one big square shaped gift given by a family friend to both Eugene and his mother. They both decided to open the present at once. Eugene found a small silver frame with a photo of Mussolini and a written letter attached that said, Please keep it with you. He is happiness and Italy. Eugene couldn't even say a word before his mother interrupted him, handling him a painting she had engraved with a huge photo of Mussolini with the Italian flag in the background and a portrait of Hitler in the corner. They were both shocked and scared. Eugene and his family had never thought about politics or Mussolini. They had assumed that the power of the state was only limited to the main cities, and a town like in Veruno, despite being just a couple of miles away from Milan, would not be affected by the politics of war. These gifts were an eye-opener for both of them. Fascism and the war were closer than they thought, and the foundation of their society and life were influenced by it. They talked for hours about the prospect of moving and the promise to talk later with more people about the reality of the situation in Europe and Italy. At 6 a.m. Eugene left home with a bag containing all his presents. Denise feeling caused by the portrait of the Italian leader and the small gift given to him by his girlfriend was only increased due to the fact that on the way home he noticed several portraits of Mussolini hang on top of doors of houses or light out by candles on dining rooms or living rooms, which Eugene could see through open windows. That portrait was the odd item on Italy during Christmas. By the time he got home, he was received by another portrait of the leader hanging from the door of the building. Eugene and his family were against Mussolini and fascism. Their opinion was based on the letters and news that Eugene received as a pilot. And even more, they believed that Hitler and Mussolini were no different than any other mafia boss they met. They were just two guys looking for power and willing to do anything to get it. But more than that, not a lot of people in Italy would have the privilege to receive the reality of the situation. Hence, as a pilot, Eugenio and his family were completely against him. Ever since, Mussolini became a powerful man. 
Eugene was particularly scared to be part of the military or to be forced to join the army as a pilot. He hated the prospect of war, and his knowledge of the dirty war carried out in Africa made him angry and supported his position to go against the Italian government. By noon that very same day, he had read and talked with enough people to have a clear mindset regarding the situation. He was thinking about leaving now. It was a hard decision. He had his dream job, his life, and his future in Italy. At 9 p.m., he received a telegram from Hans. As usual, he had accepted a job to fly during Christmas. He was now in Germany. The telegram was simple. It read, I'll come back in two days or three. I need to talk with you. Eugene didn't fly during those three days. The weather was bad, and more importantly, the airfield had been partially taken over by a general of the army. Part of the airfield was now dedicated to recruitment. Two hangars had become recruitment centers, where new recruits would sleep until they were transferred to bigger installations in Milan. During the afternoon of the third day, Hans landed. He was immediately greeted by most of the airfield's workers. Eugene was among those greeting him. After a couple of minutes, Hans called Eugene and asked him to meet him at 10 p.m. in his house. Hans looked distressed. He was always very excited to share news about a place he visited or to share his adventures around the world. This time he was quiet. At 10 p.m., Eugene was there. Hans' house was an apartment near Milan. As Eugene entered, Hans offered him some wine. You will need it, he said. Hans closed the windows and locked the door. He looked concerned. He sipped a little bit of wine and told Eugene of his latest trip, a trip that took him to Germany. Hans had been hired by a man called Otto. He was part of a group called the SS. He was an old friend of Hans. Otto hired Hans in a rush. He needed a willing pilot to work for him for a couple of weeks during December. The weather and time made it hard for anyone to find a pilot. Hans was one of the only ones available. The job was simple. He would fly from Italy to Germany and then work from a small airfield nearby Munich. When Hans arrived, he was received by Otto and a bunch of his colleagues in a very fancy restaurant in Munich. They talk and talk about soccer, food and girls. At the end of dinner, Otto and Hans talk about the work to do. Hans' job was to fly the plane twice per day from Munich to the border with Poland. He was to start the next morning. During the morning, Hans got a, a big surprise when he was picked up by a military car and taken to the airfield. The airfield in question was empty. Only a single plane was surrounded by boxes and boxes of things to be transported. As usual, German organization made it simpler for Hans to take up with a full plane towards the border with Poland. The boxes were branded with the SS symbol and the swastika and some numbers. After a couple of hours, the plane touched down next to Poland, where he was received by more SS men. They immediately unloaded the plane and sent Hans back to Munich. On the way back, Hans kept wondering what does the boxes contain. He realized that despite the size of the boxes, the counter was not very heavy. After landing in Munich, Otto was there to receive him and take him for some beers. It was late in the afternoon when they arrived to Otto's house, where his wife and two kids were waiting. Hans was welcomed to the dinner table. 
It all looked very traditional and joyful. The family talked about schools, sports, movies, and airplanes. Otis's two kids were particularly interested in hands. They had never had a real pilot at home. Both kids kept asking Hans about airplanes, landings, clouds, and everything else. Hans was not really used to deal with kids. Had a sight on his face, and then he sent the kids to play outside. When they left, Odd and Hans talked about other things. As usual, the conversation became political. Odd asking Hans about his opinions on Jews, America, and Italy, becoming an ally. Hans hated politics, but he had to deal with it. At the end, Otto was not only his friend, but also his boss. Hans asked him about the SS and his job. Otto turned out to be an official in charge of transportation of food and other goods to the eastern part of Germany. That reminded Hans to ask about the counting of the boxes. By then, Otto was partially drunk. He replied with a smile, You're transporting Jews. He laughed and left. Hans didn't take it serious. He was bust as well. He wanted to go and get home. It was Otto, drunk and old, that took Hans back to the hotel. He slept for just about six hours and woke up for his next shift. As usual, TSS workers had prepared everything before Hans arrived. As he jumped into the plane, he saw one of the boxes on the empty passenger seat. One of the workers told Hans they didn't have enough space and had to place the box there. Anyway, it was not that heavy. As the plane took off, Hans' curiosity grew more and more until the point when he leveled up the plane and got his knife out. He tried to open the box, but it was harder than he thought. The lid was secure with nails. It took him a while to open the box just enough to see what it contained. At first, it looked like an item of cloth, but the smell was very particular. Hans took a portion of the material, and it was hair, human hair. By the time he realized that he was about to arrive to the intended airfield, he had to rush to close the lid and try to forget about it. Once he landed, a younger official received him. He looked very young. Although Hans wanted to ask about the regions and destination of the content, he was rushed to go back to Munich as soon as possible. German efficiency made it all faster. In less than 30 minutes, he was back in the air. As he arrived in Munich, the same routine unfolded. Otto picked him up, take him for dinner, and then they went to a bar. At the bar, the conversation revolved around the job ahead and the money involved. Hans was getting paid well, almost double to regular pilot. After a couple of very strong beers, Hans had the courage to ask Otto about the counting of the boxes. Otto got serious for a bit. The whole operation was part of a major military operation Otto was not allowed to talk about. The one thing he said was that they were dealing with the Jew here. He said, We have discovered a better use of it than to stay on top of those empty heads. The conversation stopped. Otto kept laughing at his comment, which made Hans doubt about the truthfulness of Otto. When Hans came back home, he kept wondering if Otto was honest. Was he playing around? Joking about Jews was often normal. Hans had to go through many jokes about Jewish people when he was in Germany.
He had heard about deportation, he had heard about slave workers, and of course, he had heard about racial division in Germany and in Europe. He stayed awake thinking about the whole thing. He didn't want anything to do with that. If Otto was serious, that meant Hans was participating on that despicable act. At 5 a.m. he was already up in the lobby of the hotel waiting for the car to take him to the airfield. The weather was bad during the morning. Fog and rain around the airfield kept the airplane grounded for most of the morning. It allowed Hans to interact with other SS soldiers in the airfield. They played chess and drank some coffee. At 2 p.m. the operation was cancelled. The rain kept pouring in and the fog was too thick for anyone to dare to take off. Hans had to wait until 7 p.m. to get his ride back to the hotel. Instead, a younger officer offered him a ride in his car. Hans accepted. As he hopped into the car, he realized the back seat was taken by a large box, one of those he was supposed to take to the border. The young official, which Hans does not remember the name, welcomed him with a smile. I saw Hans looking at the box. The SS official said, Once in a while we're allowed to get some of it at home. It's kind of a reward. The box was smaller than usual. Hans kept looking at it from the front seat. The officer asked, Do you want some of it? Hans couldn't say anything before the SS officer reached and opened the box in front of him. He said, Don't take that much. I don't think we're going to get more of these anytime soon. Hans looked at the content. The box contained jewelry and even some golden teeth. The officer said, Jew gold, get some. The teeth are gross, but very valuable if you melt them. I got my girlfriend a very beautiful necklace out of the last box we got. Don't take a lot. Hans stopped. He didn't want to reach into the box. As he hesitated, the officer took a bunch of jewelry and handed it to Hans. He put the jewelry directly on Hans' goggles, which were on his lap. He said, you're welcome. Hans couldn't say a word. The car started and the two of them were underway. It was right at that moment that Hans understood. The rumors he had gathered from back in Italy were true. A war against Jewish had started. Germany was not the same. He then remembered what Otto told him last night about a big operation on the east. As he arrived home, he thanked the officer and went directly to the telegram office. This is when he sent Eugene the message. He had to work for two more days before going back. During the next two days, he had to pretend to be fine with the whole thing. He received his pay and was promised another job later on during the spring. That was the last time that Hans stood on German soil. Everything is true, Hans said to Eugene. There is something big happening very soon, something in the East. That's probably why Mussolini met with Hitler. Hans looked very stressed. He couldn't stop smoking. He had become a second father to Eugene. They were always together. Anything Hans wanted, Eugene would always try to make it through. This time, though, the desire was a bit more complicated. Hans wanted to move the whole operation 
and his company, the two planes, away from Italy and into the U.S. and start working from there. Hans had friends somewhere in Texas. He was sure he would get a company started in no time. The problem was the paperwork involved. Anyway, they agreed to meet during the morning and I started researching what they needed to do to go to America. Eugene accepted without hesitation. He hated the Italian government. Even more now. He had lived through war in Sicily. He didn't want to go through that again. Next chapter. Eugene tries to go to America. And hands is arrested by the Italian police.